Um, so yeah, we're looking at James chapter 1, 22 to 25 tonight. Going through a little series in James. Um, and as part of tonight, I'm going to give you a riddle. Now, my brother-in-law Paul spoke last week, and he did, some of us will remember, some riddles. And uh, this is not planned at all. Um, we spoke to each other and realised that we both kind of had similar things in our house. Paul, my brother-in-law, lives uh, with me and my wife there two children. And in our house, riddles have become, I think Paul talks about this actually, it's become a bit of a thing. My kids are really into riddles at the moment for some reason. And it just so happens that this riddle in particular kind of fitted in with something that kind of thought God wanted to say tonight. So I'm not going to ask anybody the answer to this riddle at the moment. It's going to come up a little bit later on. But I just want you to have a think, see if you think you know the answer. Uh, and then later on, I might give you some clues and we'll see. So, uh, Tom and Ella, two children, are playing together in the cellar of their house. When they emerge from the cellar, Ella, the girl, has dirt on her forehead, but Tom is completely clean. Why is it that Tom is the only one that goes to watch? So have a little think about that. Like I said, we'll come back to that um, in a little bit. So we're kind of at the end of James chapter 1 now. Um, and last time, uh, some of you might remember, we spoke uh, from James 1.19. We looked at being um, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Uh, there was a little song in the morning, so we might remember we did it all together as well in the morning around it. A little bit of song there. Um, and tonight, we come to these words. G- uh, James, in his, his letter, just before these verses, talks about the importance of receiving God's word that has been implanted in us for those are the words that come just before these verses. And then we read these words together in regards to God's word. So this is from James 1, 22 to 25. You can follow up on the screen or if you've got a Bible with you, uh, feel free to read it on. So James writes, But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, They are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they are like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. As I've studied these words over the last few weeks, I had the immense privilege over last week of going away camping in the Lake District. Uh, with another family from, from this church. Had a wonderful week. It meant I needed to prep this quite a while beforehand. And I, so the last few weeks I've been looking in and around these, these verses and uh, praying and having a real think. And to be honest, this has been really challenging to me. Like probably the most challenging sermon that I've, that I've written in terms of my own life. And what it's made me think is that if ever we need a reason to get into God's Word, to get more into God's Word, like these words are it, like just says it right here. And um, we're going to look into to why that is. It's been a huge challenge for me, and I think these words are challenging. Um, but yeah, hopefully, we'll sort of, as we unpack them, um, we'll have some things to go away and have a think about. So, alright, if we should pray together. Yeah, Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive, that it has the, the power to change our lives. And I pray tonight that you would speak, yeah, that you would speak from your word, and what each of us need to hear tonight, that we would receive it, we would receive that word that you've implanted in us. Thank you that your word endures forever. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so James has already mentioned God's word. He mentions it again here. And um, I, don't, I really don't want to complicate tonight. I don't want to overcomplicate it. It's very, very simple, I think, actually, these words, what they're trying to say. And um, I think there's a tendency to kind of overcomplicate. I don't want to do that tonight. And I don't know what stands out to you in these words particularly. But in similar bits of scripture for me to this, and this one particularly, when the writer tries to paint a picture that we try and imagine in our head, that's always the sort of thing that kind of sticks out to me. So I brought my mirror along with me from our house. Our, uh, our hallway, stairs and landing, is going through a development project. This used to be up in the, uh, up in the hallway. The development project has been going on for about three years. <laughs> if anybody's been to my house, you'll notice that there's been no wallpaper on that hallway stairs and landing. Um, but if not, it stands out to you. What stood out to me immediately was those verses 22 and 23. Follow us in me, hear the word of God, and, uh, and don't act upon it or do something like those that, that look at themselves in the mirror and immediately go away and forget what they look like. And uh, over the next 20 minutes, let's just unpack a little bit what that looks like. So to begin, James says, Be doers of God's word, not many hearers, so as to deceive yourself says deceive themselves. People who uh, hear the word of God but don't do what it says. Deceive themselves. And um, that led me to just think, what does it mean to deceive yourself? Okay, we might be kind of, we might understand what it means to deceive somebody else. Okay, but to actually deceive yourself I think is a really interesting concept. I actually went into Oxford Dictionary. I quite enjoy looking at definitions of words. Um, when I'm doing things like this, just because I find often that when I read scripture, if I, if I pass over a word and sort of think I understand what it means and don't actually fully understand what the word means, then sometimes we can miss out on a little bit, or at least I do a little bit of the understanding. So I looked up in the Oxford Dictionary um, the, uh, the, the direct definition for what it means to deceive. So to deceive, according to the Oxford Dictionary definition, is to deliberately cause someone to believe something that is not true. Especially, and I think this is a really, really important add-on, especially for personal gain. Okay? So again, we might be familiar with that idea of like lying to somebody or misleading somebody to gain something for ourselves. Okay? That might be something that we, that we, we understand. But how does that work for ourselves? How does that work for us? How do we deceive ourselves for our own personal gain? Don't really, I didn't really understand that when I read it. So yes, yeah, so why is James telling us we deceive ourselves when we hear the word of God instead of doing what it says, do something else? Well, we can hear and read the word of God either through reading scripture on our own, coming to church here tonight or any other week that we've been here, hearing it preached on, and then immediately after we've read something or heard something or been involved in a small group study at a house group or whatever it is, immediately when we read God's word, we've got a choice to make. And Paul brilliantly spoke about choices last week and how important choices are in our faith and the ability to have choice because it means that we can choose to love God and choice is an incredibly important thing. But as soon as we hear the word of God, we have a choice to make. Am I going to do what God's word tells me, what it says, or am I going to choose to do something else? Am I going to do what this is telling me or am I going to walk away from this and choose to do something else? James is really clearly in favour of us choosing to obey God's word, but sometimes the issue comes 
least it's come for me in my life, when we think we know a better way than God's way. Sometimes we can begin thinking we know a better way. And James explains that this is, and this is what I think explains it like, this deceiving, this deception. We can begin to convince ourselves of something that isn't true. We believe the decision that we make for ourselves that opposes the word of God is better for us, but it isn't. If we read God's word and see something, do something different, believing that that is the better option, James says that that's deception. That's deceiving yourself. It's like saying, okay, I'll just draw up a couple of examples. The Bible says, you know, I need to be a good steward of my money. I need to give to the poor. So we've just looked at like food bank, and it might be that God places that on your heart tonight, doing something like that. And I know that I need to do that, and I know that that's something that I need to do. But actually, I think it's better for me to keep my money for me because I need to be secure and I need to be financially. And that'll be better for me. That'll be like a better choice for me. But if God's placed that on your heart through something you've read or you've seen, then James says you're deceiving yourself if you think that keeping the money for yourself is the better option. Like that's deceiving yourself. You might read, you know, okay, I read in the Bible that it's not good to be promiscuous and to go out and get drunk and do those types of things. But actually, like, in my head, I think, well, okay, I'm going to have more joy and more happiness and I'm going to be more popular if I do those things because that's what everybody else is doing. And if I, if I don't do those things, then I'm going to be miserable and it's not going to work out. You know, I'll be happier and I'll have more joy in my life if I do these things. But that James says that's deception. That's deceiving yourself. You think you're going to personally gain from it, but you don't. Now, don't be wrong. I have made, and I'm sure we can all say tonight, you know, we've all made decisions that aren't fantastic in our lives. But yeah, James is saying here, you deceive yourself if you believe making those choices that don't align with the word of God will do you better off. We're about to look into the verses at the end of this little chunk and what happens if we obey the word of God and, and something, you know, we, we do the opposite of not doing it and we actually obey it and we do it and we, and we live it out. We're going to look at that and what that is. But James explains here, explains here that he wants us to be doers, not just hearers. I think it's important to note that doing nothing is doing something. So if we feel like God prompts something and places something on our heart, that doing nothing about that is making a choice to do something. Does that make sense? It's like doing nothing is doing something. And sometimes it would be like, well, uh, you know, I didn't, do anything, like, I didn't do anything wrong, but it's like actually not doing something that God's placed on your heart through his word is making a choice to, to not do it. And we've all done that. At least I have, you know, I sit in church on, on nights like this or in the morning and hear stuff and God places something on my heart and Monday morning comes around and it's gone. You know, it's forgotten. And um, we do a Bible study on a Monday night and, and, you know, go to all sorts of different things. You guys might be involved in house groups and all sorts of things. The same thing again. You have a conversation. God places something on your heart and you get that feeling of, yeah, God, we're going to go for this. Let's do this tomorrow. And then it's, it's gone. Okay, so first thing is, is deception. We're not to deceive ourselves by hearing the word and not doing anything about it. Okay, so let me get on to the next bit, which is James says here, for if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those that look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away, immediately forget what they look like. Now this is my son Zion, um, and this was on holiday. I think uh, Mike Wilson, his granddad, many of you know Mike, taught him how to do this. 
And uh, this is him enjoying himself in a shop in Portugal <laughs> with, a, with a mirror. And um, yes, yeah, so James used this image of a mirror. And mirrors are really, really, I'm going to pause that because it's going <laughs> to, you're going to, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, James uses this image of a mirror. And the, mirrors are really interesting things, um, it turns out, when you look into them. No pun intended there. Uh, <laughs> But if you actually look into them, like I've been doing over the last few weeks, there's absolutely loads of things that mirrors are used for that you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't realize. I had a joke with Jim uh, before the service, because I actually untied my hair and tied it up again, looking at the mirror. And I think Jim thought for one that I'd just bought this so I could sort my hair out before I started. <laughs> but, uh, but we do use mirrors for that, don't we? Because it's like, you know, we might want to check ourselves before we go out for whatever we're doing, work, school, going out into the town or whatever. We use mirrors to check that we haven't got a bit of breakfast left on our face or our clothes look okay. You know, we use mirrors for stuff like that. Might use a mirror like this was used in our hall for like making uh, the hallway look bigger. So we often use mirrors for decoration to make things look uh, bigger. Lots of us have them on our, well, all of us, if you own a car, will have lots of mirrors on your car to help you see blind spots. Um, and the, the mirrors that always fascinate me are those little round ones that you get on bends so you can see the car that comes around the corner. So whatever danger is kind of lurking around the corner, um, you can see it before, uh, before it's too late. Mirrors are also used in things like cameras, microscopes. Um, I'm probably telling you all stuff you already knew, but I don't actually think I knew that a mirror was used in a microscope. But they're used, aren't they, to redirect light to help us see things that we couldn't see before. So you can't see your own reflection just wandering around. But if you look into a mirror, you can see it. So it helps you see stuff that you couldn't see before. And similarly with a camera, that might help us capture something that we couldn't see, either it's too far away or whatever it is. And a microscope helps us see things that are a lot smaller than we can see with our own eyes. And it helps us really see those things in immense detail. All sorts of scientific discoveries have been made through the use of microscopes. And, um, and, and the use of mirrors seeing things we couldn't see before. So mirrors reveal things to us. They reveal things that we either couldn't see clearly, that we didn't know were there, or we couldn't see before. So what context then is James trying to use this in to try and get us to have a bit of a think? Well, the mirror in this context is God's word, and James mentioned it again just said it before a couple of times, and the mirror is God's word. And it might seem strange to refer to what we now have as a book, as God's word, as a mirror. But I think there's two main reasons why James does that, um, why he uses a mirror as an example for that, and, and talks about a person who looks at themselves in it and then immediately goes away and forgets what they look like. And I think it's because this book will act like a mirror to you uh, if you read it and you spend time in it. And the first way is that when you spend time in this, in this book, either coming to church or spending time studying it on your own or, or at house groups or at small groups or whatever it is that we do when we, when we get into this word, when we get into the teachings of Jesus, when we see what God actually says in this book that we've been blessed with to see what God wants to say to us, when you spend time in it, it will show you where you are right now, like right now in your life. And that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like, it will show you everything. It will show you the things that you're doing really, really well, and the things that are going really good. But it will also show you the stuff that isn't going so good, and the stuff that you perhaps don't want other people to see. And we all have stuff that we don't want people to see. We all have stuff that we're really great at. But this will show you absolutely everything 
about where you are, like right now. It's like a measuring stick. How are you doing? Where are you at? This book will bring it up. And it's just a couple of verses from Scripture. Uh, so Hebrews 4, chapter 4 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Timothy 3 then says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. This book, God's Word, will bring stuff up, it will bring stuff out of us to the surface that we need to deal with. And to be honest with you, that's why I think sometimes it's difficult to pick up and read. Because I think there's stuff in here that, I mean, there's stuff in here that I don't really want to face up to in my own life. There's stuff that I'll read in here and I'll think, oh man, I've got to do something about that. Like, I've actually got to sort that out. It does show us the good stuff as well, but there's stuff in here that it brings up that we just think, okay, I've got to do something about this, God. So you will look into this, this book, God's Word, and you will see where you are right now. But not only that, it serves as a mirror in another way. It doesn't just show you where you're at now, it shows you where you can be. So it shows you who God made you to be properly, <laughs> without all the sin, without all the selfishness. It shows you where you can be, the potential you have through God's help and his Holy Spirit. It shows you the person of Jesus <laughs> and how amazing he is and the life that he lived and the example that that is. And it shows you where you can get to. So it doesn't just show us where we're at now. It shows us where we can be and where God wants us to be and to get to and the potential that each of us have. So those two ways. So looking into it, one, okay, and seeing where we are as of now and walking away and forgetting what we look like, walking away and forgetting completely what we look like is basically saying, okay, God, I'm happy with where I'm at. I've, like, I've seen the stuff that, you know, you, like, that, aren't, that isn't great in me, the, the issues, the, the things that I need to sort out. I've seen the good stuff as well, but I, I've seen the stuff that I need to sort out, okay? And walking away and forgetting what you look like is saying, well, I'm happy with where I'm at, and I'm going to go away, and I'm not going to do anything about any of those things. I'm just going to leave myself where I'm at. I'm going I'm to walk away from that. And then looking into it too and seeing the potential that you have seeing what Jesus has done for you, seeing who God has made you to be properly and walking away and not doing anything about that is basically, James says, akin to forgetting what your face looks like, forgetting who you actually really are, who God actually really created you and made us to be. So the mirror works in both of those ways. Um, looking into it and seeing the potential and walking away. So when James uses that image, I think that's where he's getting at. God's word is a mirror. It will reveal things to us. It will show us who we are. The question is then for us, what is the response from us? What will we do with what we see? What do we do about that? What's our response to what we actually see? And um, if we don't look into God's word, if we don't use this as the mirror, as the measuring stick for where we're at and where we can get to, if we don't use this, what else is there to use? Well, I think what we will use if we don't use this is we look at each other and we try and figure out where we're at. 
And we don't look at God's word and go, oh, okay, well, where am I at? We look at each other and we look at somebody else. And there's two main issues with that. One is that you look at somebody else and you go, well, I'm nowhere near as good as them. I'm nowhere near as good as them. And that then makes us feel terrible about ourselves, like we're never going to reach that potential and like just leaves us in a bad state of mental health and just that vicious cycle that some of us will be familiar with. I'm, ne- I'm never going to be as good as them. And then, where am I? So, yeah, so if we look at each other, the, the first issue is that. The second issue, that's where I'm at, the second issue is if we look at other people, the other thing that we can do is look at somebody and go, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. <laughs> at least I'm not as bad as them. At least I'm not in a position that, at least I'm not in the position that they're in. And this is where the riddle comes back in. So I don't know whether, I'm not going to ask anybody to shout out the answer, but I don't know whether anybody's kind of figured out the answer to this. But the issue is, with, with Ella, she comes out the cellar with dirt on her face, and Tom doesn't. Tom looks at Ella and assumes he's dirty. So he goes and washes himself. Ella looks at Tom and assumes she's clean. So she does nothing. Yeah? And it's like, if you look at somebody else, you get such a distorted view of where you're at, that instead of looking in a clean, crisp mirror like this one, what you end up looking in is like one of those funhouse mirrors. You know those ones that make you look dead thin or <laughs> dead big or whatever, I don't know if anybody's ever been and looked at one of them. And you're not quite sure of where you're looking, what you're looking at. You can't quite make it out. Whereas when we look into what James calls the perfect law, and we're going to look at this in a sec, the law of liberty, God's word, when we look at that, we get an actual accurate reflection of where we're at and what's going on. Okay, so last, last point, and then we'll just move on to some practical, hopefully helpful things. James then finishes... Um, by talking a little bit more about, about God's word and, and the effect it has on us. And he says, but those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they'll be blessed in their doing. So again, look into what James calls the perfect law. The perfect law, the law of liberty. Talking about God's word and that mirror that we've just talked about. So the law of liberty, liberty or to be liberated from something, is to be free. And the two things that James says here is that God's word brings freedom and it brings blessing. Those are the two things that God, God's word brings. It's the, the law of liberty, it brings freedom, and it brings blessing. And uh, I'm the youth worker at this church, I've been for a number of years now, and one of the main things that is, I guess, a challenge to overcome when talking to young people, particularly non-Christian young people, is this idea that rather than what James is saying here, which is the truth that we read in Scripture and God's truth, that God's word brings freedom, there is a belief and a feeling that God's word brings like a restriction and like an unhelpfulness. And it's like, well, I don't want to read the Bible and I don't want to do all this stuff because actually it's going to make my life less fun, um, less, you know, I'm going to be less happy. It's, it's restrictive. And sometimes when we're explaining stuff to non-Christians, we can use the phrase or use phrases like, oh, it's not about rules and religion. It's about relationship. You know, that might be a phrase that people have, have batted around occasionally. And we know that, that's, we know that it's not true that it's super restrictive and makes us unhappy. And we know that it is true that it's about relationship. But the truth is that God's law, God's word, is restrictive. 
It is. We don't like saying that. We don't like talking about that. Restrictive is kind of like a bit of a, I don't know, like not a great word, is it? Like sometimes when we say it, like the way we feel about it. But it is restrictive, but in such a good, a good, helpful way. But sometimes we don't like talking about that. You know, like I was thinking about like my kids, and my kids could, if they wanted, open up the front door. We don't bolt the front door every day. They could open up the front door, and they could go and play in the street if we didn't know that, that's what they were doing. They could do that. They've got the free choice to do that. But we've also got a perfectly fenced-off garden out the back that they can play in that is much safer. There's no cars. There's no things that could... Um, you know, harm them there. It's very hard for somebody to get into there without us knowing about it. And it's a little bit like that. God's word is restrictive, but in the best way possible. And I mean, just imagine for a second, like a world without restrictions. Like, just imagine not having like roads for cars to drive on. Like, you just go wherever you want. You imagine that. Like, it'd be chaos. It'd be absolutely mad. So, in obeying God's word, and Jesus' teachings, that's where we can truly have that freedom. And then free from, free from what? Just to kind of finish off, Jesus says these words in John 8, 31 to 32. So the Jews who believed in him, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When we hold to Jesus' teachings and obey what he's taught us, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, to love your neighbor as yourself, will be set free. Set free both now, like now and later on. Um, set free from what I've written down here is like the slavery of, of selfishness, really. Like the slavery of, of our sin. Because every single time we obey his word now, like today, that's freedom from a sinful choice. That's freedom from doing something else which is selfish. So we receive the freedom now and also later on when we're set free from the would-be sort of ultimate result of our selfishness. We're set free from that when we put our trust and accept Jesus as, as our Lord and Saviour. Because then we no longer need to fear death but instead look forward to eternity in heaven with him. So we've been set free. Jesus saves us and he then says in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. So yeah, firstly, God's word brings us freedom and obedience to God and what he teaches. And secondly, James says, then blessing, freedom and blessing. Secondly, James says, uh, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. God's word brings forth blessing. Here we're told, blessed in their doing. So it's not afterwards, it's in our doing that we're blessed. We are blessed when we obey God's word in the actual act of doing it. Blessed in our doing. So the blessing comes as we obey. We get blessed as a result of doing the word of God. And it's not just us that gets blessed either. Like blessing spreads. Like if we obey the word of God and do what it says, then others will be blessed as a result of that. It isn't just us. Other people will receive from God and receive when we do what he asks of us. So to finish then, the word of God, scripture, Jesus, the word of God, brings freedom and blessing, not just to us, but others around us too. 
So just some quick practical things about responding to this then. Um, and these, these aren't in like an order. So they're not like the most important one first or like relevance or anything like that. These are literally just as I've prayed through this and thought, how do we respond to this practically? These are the things that have just come to my head. And that's a mixture of things that I need to do and sort out for me as well. But it's like these are just things that just came to me. So these aren't in order of importance at all. But number one, so it's very small. Can you read that? Um, that's actually all right up there. I can't read it. My eyesight is terrible. I can't read it off the back screen. Coming to church. Where do we go to to hear the word of God, to look into that mirror? So there's some other things on here, like reading the Bible for ourselves privately and attending house groups and small groups and that type of thing, but coming to church. And I think, to me, there is something amazing about the fact that we can come together as a community who live in and around Sutton, and we can all hear the same bit from the Word of God and see the same application and then go out together and try and put that into practice all together. That's just incredible. And like the immense change that can have if we all take that seriously and all go out and try and live this sort of stuff out. And that happens when we come here and we look into this, this mirror and we hear people talk about God's word and we hear people preach and we hear God speak to us. We look into the mirror and we go, oh, okay, I really need to do this. And then we all go out together and we all do that. And I think there's something immense in that. And sometimes, you know, coming to church, it can be difficult because it's like there can be so many reasons why not to come sometimes? The way that we feel, we've been too busy, there's other stuff on. But to me, in my personal life, and I know I work here, so like it's a bit different, it is a bit different for me. I'm here like all the time, um, which is, to be honest, fantastic. But it can be easy to choose why not to turn up sometimes. But for us as a family, like me and my wife Deb and our kids, like we try and, and put Sunday coming as like, as solid as like for anybody else like going to work, going to school. It's not like a choice. It's like we just go. Obviously, sometimes there are reasons why it's like not doable, you know, like we, we can't go. But it's like we do that not because like, you know, we're holy Joes or whatever, but because we recognize that if we chose every single week, there would sometimes be times when we convince ourselves that it was right not to go. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because if somehow we're too tired. There's this, there's that. So for us, it's just helpful. It's just there. It's the routine. It's what we do. It's where we go. And yeah, we work here, but it's like, we just, it's just part of our week, and that's kind of what we try and, what we try and do. And I just you know, wrote down here again, like, I don't feel like it for me. Like, it doesn't quite cut it. If anything, it's like, I don't feel like it probably means I should definitely go. Like, I should definitely come. <laughs> because it's like, that's when I probably need it the most. That's when I need it the most. And just that idea of as a, as a community, responding together and living it out radically. The next thing that I've put is to, to concentrate and commit, which I find it really difficult to concentrate. And I think, you know, like in today's day and age where we have things that constantly try and grab our attention 24-7 and, you know, all sorts of things shouting at us on the street and adverts and all that, it becomes increasingly hard to naturally concentrate. I think it's something that particularly just the younger generations, I'll be honest, we're getting worse at it. We're not getting better. I think it's hard. I think it's something that perhaps the older generations in our church 
could teach some of the younger generations how to concentrate a bit better. And so I've put concentrate first and then commit. I just have to find ways to really helpfully concentrate. So that might be making notes. Sometimes that's on my phone if I don't have paper and pen, but it's making notes so I can concentrate on what's being spoken about. And then commit is if I feel that poke from God, from the Holy Spirit, you, you need to listen to this, you need to do this, you need to go out tomorrow or tonight this evening and do this then I, com- I have some way of committing to doing that. And that sometimes is like setting a goal for myself that week of doing something or, or whatever it might be, or just writing it down or telling someone else that this is what I'm going to do this week and committing to doing it. Because otherwise we fall into that trap of, oh yeah, okay, God, and we get that excited kind of rush feeling of, yeah, I'm going to do this tomorrow. And then we wake up and the business of life takes over, take kids to school, get out for work, whatever it is, and it's gone. And we forget it. You know, and I always think about the parable of the sower. You know, some of us will be familiar with that story from the New Testament where the, the birds snatch the seeds from the path. Like the farmer sows the seed and the birds snatch it from the path. It's like sometimes I just see that in my life. Like God's put something there and I've seen it and it's like it's gone. Satan takes it away. And I can't do anything about it because I've, I've forgotten. So it's about concentrating and then committing to do something. And that's not just at church. That's in a quiet time, finding a quiet space that you can sit and you can do something or perhaps a Bible study with friends and and really trying to make an effort to concentrate. And then setting achievable goals. I just found a helpful thing in my own life. And then I've put down here getting into God's Word at other occasions, quiet times, Bible studies, accountability groups, alpha, questions of life. As a church, we offer like so much to get into God's Word and to dig deeper into it all kind of levels of faith, whether you, you know, aren't a Christian yet or you've been a Christian for many, many years. There are all sorts of different things. And also house groups and small groups are just immensely helpful. To go, to remember something on Sunday and have nothing else through the week, I think is actually quite difficult. Like, it's quite hard. So to actually have something in the middle of the week where you meet with other church members and you have discussions and conversations and ask questions and just have that helpful reminder is just so, so important. It's really, really important. And if you aren't part of a house group and you want to be part of a house group and you want to know how to get involved in that, then please come and talk to somebody with a a lanyard on. Um, We'll help you um, get involved in a house group because we'd really be keen to get involved because we just know that they're so, so helpful. Then accountability. And this is something that's just helped me in my life. It's just being accountable with one person that I trust and being able to say anything to them and then be able to say anything to me and just to be able to challenge me when I'm not doing very well or, or I'm just struggling in some area or something's happening. Read the Bible together, pray together. Somebody you can be honest with that you know will keep confidence and you know won't tell anybody else. It's just been an immensely helpful thing for me. So if there's somebody in your life that you um, think you can trust and you would want to have that, then why not just ask somebody? Like, would you happily just meet up once every week, fortnight, month? Would you have a conversation over the phone once a week just, and just chat about these things? I found accountability immensely, immensely helpful in my faith journey so far. And then just other helpful literature. There are so many books. So sometimes, like, I was talking to Madeline about this at the beginning. Some people, when they read through the Bible, are like, well, that just doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't understand it. Like, I can't make, you know, heads or tails of what I read. There are really helpful books that help explain stuff a little bit simpler and easier 
Um, and again, if you come and talk to, to one of us, we'd happily point you towards some books. I'll be honest, there's some really good ones out there. There's some really rubbish ones out there. <laughs> so it's actually really important to get hold of something that's good. But I think if you could come and talk to one of us about books that can help you do that, that'd be great. So those are the things that I just thought responding practically to really getting into God's Word and, and figuring out how to live it out. And then just a few practicing God's Word, um, little helpful things. I think tomorrow or this evening when we go home or tomorrow when we go to work or school after a long bank holiday weekend, can we just make some, some choices? One of the things is we're in such a rush so often, I feel like we don't have time to stop and think, okay, what am I doing? Where am I going to go here? What am I going to do in this situation? And, and last time when we looked at James, we looked at being quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. And we talked about it in like an argument or a disagreement, just taking that time to stop and to slow down and to think about what we're going to say, what we're going to do. And it's so important in any given situation to, to have that practice of being able to stop and to think and to be able to choose the loving option over the hateful one. Do you know what I mean? Like at work, when something happens and somebody does something that we disagree with, like... How do we choose to love in that situation? Can we stop and can we think, well, I need to just choose the right option here? Can we choose selflessness over selfishness? Can we choose to do something for somebody else when actually we really would want to do it for ourselves and get that personal, personal gain that we talked about earlier? Or could we choose to do something for somebody else? Can we choose to speak truth over lies? The world, I think, at the moment is so full of false information. And can we be people who really speak truth and try really hard not to pass on things that we're not sure whether they're true or pass on things that we know full well aren't true or say stuff that we know aren't true? Can we be people who speak truth? Can we choose generosity over greed this evening, tomorrow? Can we choose to be generous? Can we perhaps respond to the, to the need in the food bank? when perhaps we might want to go and fill up our shopping trolley, can we think about people who don't have as much as we have, potentially? Choose kindness over nastiness. Can we choose to be kind over sharing a nasty word in an argument, or can we choose the kind option? Gentleness over harshness, again. Can we choose to be gentle? Patience over hastiness. Can we choose to be patient? Can we choose to have that moment where we, where we pause? Can we choose to be patient with those people in school or at work that are really bugging us and annoying us? Can we choose caring over ignoring? If there's that person that we know really needs a helping hand, rather than forgetting about that, can we do something about it? Can we choose keeping confidence over gossip? Can we choose not passing something on that we shouldn't have passed on? Can we choose self-control over laziness? And that one's just for me, to be honest, like at the end. <laughs> like, I'm sometimes, like, if I'm struggling with something, it's just, like, sometimes I just can't be bothered to put the effort in to make it right. Like, I just can't be bothered to make the effort. But, you know, the truth is, like, some things in life that are, take a lot of effort are, are the best. <laughs> they have the best results. And the things that don't take much effort probably aren't really that worth it. But sometimes the things that take a lot of effort are really worth it. And I can just sit in my own life, I can be lazy. 
Okay, so there's just a few things to have a, have a think about over the next few days. Can we live out God's word rather than just coming and hearing it and listening to it? Can we actually go out and do it? Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you that you don't just call us to, to listen to the things you say, but you actually want to include us in your mission. You want to include us in your work. Even though we're, we're broken and we get things wrong, you want to include us. Lord, would you give us the strength tonight, tomorrow, this week, to live out what we hear in your word, what we read, to live out your command, to love you with all our heart, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Would you just help us live that out, Lord? Would you give us the strength through your Holy Spirit now? And yeah, Lord, if there's anybody tonight who just feels like that yearning to get into the Word of God but is unsure about how to do it, Lord, I pray that, yeah, you'd guide and lead them to be able to get deeper into your Word through whatever ever way it is. Yeah, would you lead us, Lord? In your name we pray. Amen.